Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. It's submission to whatever Jesus decides, and that's so important. I've prayed for people, and, and, and at the end of a prayer, if someone comes for healing, we'll get around you, we'll pray for you, and, and of course we're going to pray that God heals you. Why? Well, that's what you've come for. But we say, but Lord, no matter what, not our will, but yours be done. I've had people say, well, you don't pray that. That's a cop-out. I just want the healing prayer. Don't give them the old, whatever you want, Lord. As we begin the eighth chapter of Matthew, Pastor Sam begins his message entitled, I'd Rather See a Sermon. In the first 17 verses, Jesus not only fulfills scripture, but fulfills his own teaching as he demonstrates his powerful healing ministry. Let's listen in. Matthew's Gospel, chapter eight. The title of our message today, I'd Rather See a Sermon. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 8. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See, you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with the fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Well, it happened to most of us sometime around junior high. For some of us a little bit before, others a little bit after. We noticed for the first time we were different. For a very few among us, that difference seemed like a good thing. Those who were exceptionally talented or gifted athletically. But for many of us, it wasn't so much that we were special. We felt more special ed. You know... Truly, for most of us, sensing that we were different was a negative. Why? 
It breeds insecurity, those feelings of inferiority, those feelings I don't fit in. I'm an outsider or even an outcast. Now, our Lord wants to make sure that we get, that not only are we accepted, loved, included, but that's his heart for every single person around us. God is all about reconciling to himself, redeeming for himself, transforming for his use lives that are outside of the blessings that we're experiencing daily. And we have some very profound and powerful examples of that in this particular passage. We move now from this extraordinary teaching of Jesus in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, to Jesus demonstrating in very practical and observable ways what it means to, well, not to judge, but instead, as he instructed us in chapter 7, there in the Sermon on the Mount, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We certainly see that in his interaction with this leper. And then he taught us, of course, to love our enemies, to pray for them, to do good to them. And we see that in his interaction with this Roman soldier. And then he teaches us, of course, to, well, see ourselves in a proper light and others in the, the light that God would see them. And, and we see that as he deals with Peter's mother-in-law and then the multitudes brought to him that evening. Well, what happens as we concluded the last chapter is we found people were amazed at his teaching. Now, even more so, I would suggest, at his actions. It begins, as we read here in chapter 8, He'd come down from the mountain, great multitudes following after him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I don't know if there is anything in our day that really could give us a sense of the horror of leprosy in that day. Though there certainly are diseases that are communicable and dangerous and deadly, Leprosy was particularly devastating because it trashed a man in every possible way. You see, it devastated, first of all, physically, and it did it in a very unusual way. There would be a loss of sensitivity in the extremities. And if you've ever seen pictures of people who were in advanced stages of leprosy, oftentimes their fingers are gone and their, their, their toes are, are gone and their nose is gone and, and they're just disfigured. Just just a, a horror physically. How did that happen? Well, because of the loss of sensitivity, they would put their hand in the fire and not know it or, or cut themselves and not realize it. Infection would set in. Oozing sores would begin to spread. And so there was this physical devastation that daily got worse and worse. So these guys were outcast physically. Obviously, if you're walking around with open sores and you're disfigured and, and there's a potential for the spread of this disease, well, people aren't going to welcome you with open arms. But it was worse than that. They were actually outcast legally. The Mosaic Law said if someone was found to be leprous, that they had to live outside the city walls, that they could never come closer than six feet to another human being. That when they walked down the street, if they saw people coming, they would have to cover themselves and cry out, unclean, unclean. So they were physically devastated. They were legally outcast, separated. 
And then they were socially rejected, their own families, their own community. And in this age of individuality and we have our own stuff and we do our own thing, we can't begin to imagine what it would be like to be in a culture where everyone felt connected to one another and important in that community and essential in the, the progress of it. But these guys were social outcasts, even in their own family. Why? There was a natural fear of contamination. And by the way, that was not an irrational fear. It was rational. They said, hey, the law says you got to go. We'd love to have you, but it's not going to happen. So contact virtually never happened unless it was with another leper. And then spiritually, sadly, tragically, they were considered defiled. To be defiled spiritually means unfit for worship, unfit for service, unfit to, to, to honor and, and participate in the, the work of the Lord. Well, this leper comes to Jesus. And there are some things that if you don't have the background, you just can't even begin to imagine. Oh, one last thing, though, before we move on to his response and to his need. Jesus did, in fact, as I mentioned in the introduction, tell us that we're not to judge. In that day, it was commonly held that if someone was afflicted with leprosy, it was God's judgment on that person. And we make the same mistake today. Sometimes we see someone who's just all messed up and there are lots of ways people get messed up and lots of consequences of sin. Yes, but to say that's God afflicting them, that's God doing it to them. Listen. If you're so foolish as to jump off the roof and you splat on the ground and say, Lord, why? You're an idiot. You jumped off the roof. And so many people are truly going through tragic circumstances or suffering from diseases because they were forewarned. They neglected the warnings. They went down that road. Now they're suffering and they're blaming God. Listen, God is not responsible. He's the one who's saying red flags, you know, stop sign, flashing lights, don't go that way. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And God is forever warning us and steering us clear. But once someone is suffering, once they are afflicted, well, what's God's attitude toward them? We see in the person of Jesus. Why? He is God, the son and the son of God. So this leper comes to Jesus and, and that's step one. That's primary. If you find yourself in a place where you are an outcast, where you feel alienated, be it physically, legally, socially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, whatever way, come to Jesus. Why? While his people may or may not immediately receive you, he will always receive you. While his people may or may not Offer a solution to your dilemma, your problem, your suffering. He will always be the solution. So this leper comes and he worships him. Part one, he comes, or first of all, he comes to Jesus. Secondly, he worships Jesus. The third thing is he spoke to Jesus. And note what he says. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, up to this point, you need to know that in all of the entire history of the children of Israel, only one Israelite was ever cleansed of leprosy. Now, I know there were others in the Bible, Naaman, yeah, but he was a Gentile. And to all, I, I've, for all I can find in Scripture, and I've taught through this book a couple of times or more, 
the only person who was ever cured of leprosy, cleansed of leprosy, was Miriam, who got into a thing with Moses, and we're going through Exodus, and we may, you know, deal with that issue at some point, or later as we continue through those five books of Moses on our Wednesday evening study. But but bottom line, she kind of got in Moses' face that he was taking too much on her, and God said, you know what, let me, I want to show you something. And he gives Miriam leprosy, sort of saying, look it, Moses is my guy, he does have authority, he does have the responsibility, and you need to be submitted to that. Well, graciously and, and you know, gratefully, she was healed of her leprosy. And the reason I bring this up is there was nothing in history to indicate that Jesus could cure leprosy. That's one thing to see that he was doing some miracles and that word was getting out about his power. But this guy comes, he not only comes to Jesus, he not only worships Jesus, he not only speaks to Jesus, but he doesn't even really petition him with a direct, will you heal me? He simply says, if you will it, I know you can cleanse me. It's actually the right way to approach him. It wasn't could he, but would he? And the scripture, of course, tells us if we ask anything according to his will, he hears. If he hears, we know we're going to have the answer we're seeking. But here's the deal. We don't always know the will of God. We think that God would do what we would do. We think that God would, well, if, if I have compassion, if I would heal, certainly God should have compassion and heal. But what we don't see is what God's actually doing and trying to accomplish in that person and around that person and through that person. And I want to tell you, God allows his saints to suffer for their own sake, for his kingdom's sake, and for the sake of people all around them. That's why Peter says, let those who suffer according to the will of God and trust themselves to him as unto a faithful creator. Now, this guy comes, though, realizing if it be the will of God... If it be Jesus' will, he can cleanse him. That is an amazing faith. It's faith rightly placed in the person of Jesus. It's submission to whatever Jesus decides. And that's so important. I've prayed for people and, and, and at the end of a prayer, if someone comes for healing, we'll get around you, we'll pray for you. And, and of course, we're going to pray that God heals you. Why? Well, that's what you've come for. But we say, but Lord, no matter what, not our will, but yours be done. I've had people say, well, don't pray that. That's a cop out. I just want the healing prayer. Don't give them the old whatever you want, Lord. But, but here's the thing. Jesus himself prayed, not my will, but yours, Father. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It can never be a cop out to say, Lord, we see imperfectly. You see perfect. We don't know completely, but, but you do. So, Lord, this is what we desire in, in our limited human knowledge and with our limited human capacity. If we could, we would, but we know only you can. So, Lord, if it be your will, heal this person. And that's what he's really saying. He's not questioning, can he do it? He's questioning, will he do it? Is it his will? Is it his plan? Well, it's amazing, as I already shared, because there's nothing to indicate that such a thing could happen or would happen. This guy just has faith that, hey, if Jesus wants to do it, he can do it. And here's the good news. Jesus hasn't changed at all. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why we pray for incurable diseases. That's why we pray when the doctor says there's no hope. Why? Because there's always the possibility that it will be in accordance with the will of God. By the way, we had a young pastor 
had leukemia, loved greatly in this fellowship and in this community. The Lord preserved his life for five years. When we did his funeral, there were literally 50 people or more that had come around because of him. I mean, come to church, given their lives to the Lord. And who knows how many since then as a result. But ultimately, the Lord answered our prayer for healing by taking Barry Filer to be with the Lord. Listen, it's a perfect and total healing when you die as a Christian. You get new body in the presence of God. Everything is transformed and perfect. So when we're praying, Lord, heal him. And the Lord, you know that Jesus prays, Father, I want them to be with me and see the glory I had with you before the world began. We need to be careful that as we're praying, leave them here, leave them here. Jesus is saying, no, bring them home, bring them home. We don't want to pray something different than the Lord. Now, we don't want to just say, take them home, take them home. Maybe that's not his will. We want to freak them out. But at the same time, we need to resign ourselves completely, unreservedly to the will of our our Father in heaven. Why? He's good and gracious and everything he does is right and perfect. Well, at this point, Jesus does the unthinkable and Jesus does the impossible. The unthinkable, oh yeah, he reached out and touched a leper. No one would have ever touched a leper. And you have to know that that as Jesus was doing this, I mean, Jesus is surrounded by his disciples and Jesus is surrounded by others. And I get the picture that as the leper drew in, they pulled back. And they're like, hey, isn't he supposed to be shouting unclean? Isn't he supposed to be keeping six feet? I mean, they knew the law. And if there was ever a time to use it, now was it. But Jesus didn't talk about the law or get to the law and say, you know, you're breaking the law. No, he reached out and touched him and said, I'm willing be cleansed. No, you need to know that when I'm preparing for a Bible study, be it today, Wednesday, something smaller, it doesn't make any difference to me. I never look past what God's trying to say to me in order to find out what he's trying to say to you. I'm absolutely convinced God is, sees me as I am, a work in progress, and with still a long way to go to become just like his son. And so when I'm preparing, I'm saying, Lord... What do you want to say to me personally here? Before it ever goes through me, it needs to work in me. And here's what the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, listen, you can't heal anyone. Well, I knew that, so that's not news. You can't heal anyone either, by the way. I know there are some on TV saying that's not so. I'm telling you today, you have no power to heal the sick or to raise the dead or to cast out demons. Jesus has all power. And if you're submitted to his authority, as we'll see in our next example, he can use you to do... The impossible. But it's his power and it's his authority and it's his will. It's not us doing our thing in his name. We saw what happens to those people. They stand before him and he says, I never knew you depart. I don't want to hear that. So I'm like, Lord, your thing, your way to your glory. And here at this point, here's what happens. God speaks to my heart and says, look, you can't heal, but you can touch. And I can heal if I decide to, if I determine to. And I have, and I will, if it's according to my perfect plan and will. But the question I have to ask myself, and then you have to ask yourself, is are we willing to touch? Well, there aren't a lot of lepers today. I think they renamed that disease, by the way, because of all the fear that surrounds it. And they've actually got a handle on it. But 
I've had experiences that perhaps many of you never have or never will, and that's to be at the deathbed of AIDS sufferers. To, to be in the home of someone, not just in a hospital with a mask on and a gown, but to be in a home. And I had to ask myself the question, am I going to touch this person? Am I going to pray? Am I going to be the disciple? Say, could you just stay there and I'll pray from over here? Or am I going to be like Jesus and, and touch? Now listen, we can pray for healing. Do I think Jesus is going to heal someone dying of AIDS? I really don't expect him to. I got to admit, there have been times where we have prayed for people and they've come and say, the Lord healed me. And we're like, what? He what? You know, why? why? We're shocked. Well, why? We believe he can. We just don't know that he will. But when someone's far gone and they're on their deathbed and they ask you to come and pray. And I'm like, well, you know, okay. But but the question isn't, will I pray or could God heal him? The question is, will I even touch them? And, and that's a question you have to ask yourself because there are untouchables in our society. And see, God hasn't changed at all. If he were here, he'd touch. My question to you is, will you touch untouchables in his name? Will you put yourself at risk? I talked to someone just uh, this last week. I, many of you know that Josh and I went down for a pastor's conference. I was able to take my younger son to a senior pastor's conference. It's an amazing and bizarre set of circumstances that led up to it. But we went down and I taught at my brother's Bible college on the way. And uh, one of the other guys that was there with another pastor that was teaching had just come back from a mission not that long ago uh, over in um, Somewhere in Africa, I think Rwanda, but, but he told us this long story about just changing the diapers of these AIDS babies and, and they were there doing medical missions and they had these people coming in with this open sores and wounds, all the kind of thing we get a picture of with leprosy. And, and it's like they were just wrapping them up and tending to them. And yeah, they wore their rubber gloves and all that, but you gotta know there's just blood everywhere and, and these are infectious diseases. And he had to ask himself the question, am I willing to put myself, my life at risk just to alleviate the suffering temporally? You see, so many people are in need of what we can do just to touch them. And the, old folks' homes, in the orphanages, in so many places where people are suffering just from neglect, just a touch. Well, in any case, having done the impossible and done the unthinkable, because this guy, at Jesus' touch and at Jesus' word, was healed completely, was healed immediately. And then what happens? Jesus tells him, See that you tell no one. That was a, a thing as far as what was going on politically. You didn't want more crowds coming around trying to stir things up and make him some kind of king because of what he was doing. No, he came with a mission, and that mission was to heal, to help, to serve, to minister, to teach, and then to die for the sin of mankind. But it said, see you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now get this. There is a provision in the Mosaic law for the, well, what you're responsible to do once you're cured of an incurable disease. It never really came up because, well, to be honest, it's they weren't at that point with Miriam in, in that sense. And, and so here, here's the first place where it, it, we see something happening that, that he says, I want you to use this now. Immediately, having been touched by Jesus, having been healed by Jesus, this becomes... This guy becomes a radical witness for Jesus. And he tells him specifically, go to the priest. Why? 
They were the ones that, hey, they knew the law. They, they understood what was required. And he said, offer a sacrifice. There would be a sacrifice that day. And eight days later, after he had shaved his head and his eyebrows and all that stuff, they would reinspect him and there would be further sacrifices. And if he were really cleansed of his leprosy, he'd be given a certificate that said, welcome back to society. Welcome back. But here's the deal. None had ever been written because this had never happened. The only people cured of leprosy in the Old Testament were Gentiles, and none of this applied to them. So so God makes provision way back in the book of Leviticus for something he's not actually going to do until here in the Gospel of Matthew in the first century. Is that amazing? And what was he doing? The priests were going to have to evaluate this and say, well, for this to happen, God has got to be among us. It was a sign to them, a signal to them that, hey, God is here in our midst, and he's moving, and things are happening When we need healing, it is certainly a comfort to know God is capable of doing so, and the best place to start is always before Him in prayer. But the Lord's will is most important in all things. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, who while facing the fiery furnace proclaimed, Our God can save us, we believe He will save us, but even if He does not, we will still praise His name. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.